look in our Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms, to the 115th Psalm. Psalm 115. We want to look this morning at the subject of the pleasure of God. The pleasure of God. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Our Father, thank you again for your blessing. We thank you for this time to study your word. and We always ask for your help when we look into the scriptures. We are thankful that we have these. Help us to be students of your word. We desire to learn more and more of the scriptures. ask that you be with us throughout all of this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, our subject is the pleasure of God. I think sometimes we fail to realize there are some things God is, has pleasure with. There are some things he it does not have pleasure with. There are some things that just please God. Notice in Psalm 115, I read verse 1 through verse 3. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. I like this statement in verse 3 but our God. I'm thankful that the saints of God, you and I, can speak about a God who is our God. Not just a God, but he is our God. Verse 2, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? That is something that has been said over and over down through the ages. For many people have gods that were made by men's hands that they could see. But the God of Israel, the God of you and I, is the invisible God. We can, cannot see it. Unbelievers cannot see it. Therefore, the question, where is your God? Where is your God? The answer is given in verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. What a contrast there is between our God and any and other gods that may be uh, viewed by men upon this earth. Our God in contrast to false gods. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 4 through verse 8. You notice it says their idols. Our God in verse 3. But their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. 
Jesus' hands, it says in verse 4. I don't understand, I don't think any true Christian understands how anyone could worship an object that was made by men's hands. I don't understand that. I just do not understand. I've mentioned this before. Every time Janice and I would go to Thailand, we would see people bowing down to images, idols, the work of men's hands. People would actually go to stores and buy these things, and then they would worship them. Again, it's just something I, I, my mind just cannot comprehend. In verse 8, we're given an insight into this. It says, they that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. What does that mean? They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. Well, these idols have no life. They are lifeless. And so are those who make them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. They are spiritually dead. They have no life in them at all. Again, the idols may be in verse 4, silver and gold. Some of them are made of wood. Now, many different substances that people make them out of. But they make them many times to resemble men. And they make them as it says here in verse 5, with mouth, with eyes. Verse 6, they have ears and they have noses, they have hands, they have feet. But they're lifeless. They're lifeless. They, they cannot move, they cannot speak, they cannot do anything. Look over to the 135th Psalm. In Psalm 135, I'll begin here in verse 13. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people. He will repent himself concerning his servants. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. If you'll notice the words that follow this, Verse 19, bless the Lord, O house of Israel, bless the Lord, O house of Aaron, bless the Lord, O house of Levi, ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. And then the 136th Psalm. O give thanks unto the Lord, 
for he is good. Remember, those idols are neither good or bad. They're just objects. For his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. If you'll notice the verses that follow this, and I'm not going to read all of them, but it's interesting to note in the 135th Psalm, you have the description of false gods and those that make them, those that trust in them. Then there is the acknowledgement of Jehovah, giving praise and honor unto Jehovah. Psalm 136 and verse 1, verse 2 and verse 3, giving thanks unto Jehovah. And then notice how some of these verses in Psalm 136 begin. To him, to him. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 10, verse 13, verse 16, verse 17. To him. And it all is giving honor and glory unto him. To the God who actually has done something. The God who is able to do things, do miraculous things, do great things. Bless the Lord. Give thanks unto him. Verse 4, to him who alone doeth great wonders. In total contrast to all false gods. Back to Psalm 135, verse 5 and verse 6. Psalm 135, verse 5 and verse 6. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. For whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. Verse 6, one of the greatest verses in the scripture concerning the sovereignty of God. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he. Again, it's the pleasure of the Lord. Whatever he pleased, that he did. And it says, in heaven, in earth, in the seas, in all deep places, whatever the Lord pleased, that he did. Back in our reading in Psalm 115 and in verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. The word please that is translated here in, in, in these verses means whatever he is inclined to do. Whatever Jehovah God, the true God, desires to do, whatever he is inclined to do, we could say whatever he is delighted to do, whatever he has willed to do, that's what he has done. 
That's what he has done. Today, I'm sure it's true in generations before us, God have been belittled and man have been exalted. And the results of that is that there are very few, it seems, who really know the truth concerning God. There are many all over the world that know about God. There is a God, but do not know the truth concerning God. David knew him. In our text, in verse 3, David said, our God is in the heavens. Does not matter if people can see him, know him, acknowledge him or not, our God is in the heavens. And the Holy Spirit had David to, to pen these words concerning our God. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Again, in Psalm 136 and and. In verse 6, rather Psalm 135 and in verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased. Just think about it. There's some things that just pleased him to do. There's just some things that he just wanted to do, he desired to do. And whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places, God was active, and God did whatever he pleased. We know that he is the unchangeable, immutable God. The verse here is in the past tense, that did he. So it is in Psalm 115, verse 3, it's in the past tense. But we keep in mind he does not change. That was true of them, him then, it's true of him now, will always be true of him. If you'll back up one book to the book of Job, there's a verse I've mentioned many different times in Job chapter 23. Concerning God. And again, it has to do with just the pleasure of God, what he's pleased to do. In Job chapter 23 and in verse 13, the Bible says that he is in one mind. He's in one mind. There's much in that statement. The Bible tells us about a double-minded man being unstable. The same would be true with God if he was double-minded. But he is of one mind. And who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. Notice the word desire there. But just whatever he desires to do, he just does it. There's nothing that can restrain him. There's nothing that can hinder him. There's nothing that can make it difficult to do. He just does it. 
consent of men. He just does it simply because his soul desires it. I love this phrase in Job 23, verse 13. What his soul desireth, even that he doeth. You're familiar, and I'm going to turn there with the, in Isaiah chapter 46. In Isaiah chapter 46, I'll just read verse 9 and verse 10. But these are the words of God. This is what God said concerning himself. In Isaiah chapter 46 and in verse 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. I've told you that my definition of God is he's just God. Well, that's God's definition as recorded here in Isaiah chapter 46 and in verse 9. He just said, I am God. I am God. And there is none else. There's none like him. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Notice the pleasure of the Lord. Again, whatsoever the Lord pleases, I will do my pleasure. I, I misquoted that. I will do all my pleasure. Everything that he is inclined to do, everything he desires to do, whatever pleased him to do, that he does. He does it just because it pleases him to do it. Again, that involves the sovereign will of God. Again, in the latter part of verse 10, the word I will, again, there's the will of God. He will do it. You notice the last words of verse 11. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Do it. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he. Another familiar passage is in Daniel chapter 4 and in verse 35. Daniel chapter 4 and in verse 35. It is a statement of scripture that puts man in his place and God in his place. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. What's the reputation of any and all the inhabitants of the earth? Well, it's nothing. And he doeth according to his will. He doeth according to his will. Again, that's not just true of the past. It's true right now. Right now, God is doing according to his will. He never does contrary to his will. 
and his actions never fall short of his will. He's purposed it, he will do it. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? He doeth according to his will, both in heaven and both in earth. And toward the latter part of verse 35, it says, None can stay his hand word stay there means to bind, it means to arrest, it means to stop. None can stay, hinder, stop God from doing his purpose. He doeth according to his will, it says in verse 35. How different God is from us. God never does anything that he does not want to do, that he does not will to do. But he will do all that he wants to do. I don't imagine there's a day in any of our lives that we don't do something that we really don't want to do. Every day, that's just part of our life. We do something, and we'd rather be doing something else. We'd rather not do what it is that we are doing. But this never happens with God. He just does what he wills to do. If he does not will to do it, he just does not do it. Again, how different we are from God. He does according to his will. He does only as he pleases. He does everything that he desires to do. Our lives are filled with disappointment. We have a will, desire to do something, but something hinders. Something comes in the way. Something prevents us from doing what we would like to do never happens with God. Daniel 4.35 He does according to his will in the army of heaven. I don't know of anyone that would object to that. Anyone that has any belief at all in God certainly would acknowledge that God just does whatever he pleases up there in heaven. People will agree to that because that does not really affect them. God having his way in the army of heaven, that does not change my life one bit. But when you get to the next phrase, there's where objections come in. There's where the cry of free willism comes in. You get to the part of it said that among the inhabitants of the earth. That's where people will draw the line in their belief concerning God. People believe and they have been indoctrinated to believe that they are free. They are free agents. 
They have a free will. They will believe this with a total disregard of the word of God. It's just so ingrained in individuals that they, they believe that. People seem to have the idea that God's will is only done if it has the consent of mankind. People are not consistent, none of us are truly consistent, but have you considered those that claim to believe sovereign grace and the sovereignty of God will sit in a church service and sing, won't you let him have his way with you? Something not consistent there. Let him have his way. There'll be many, I'm sure, standing somewhere in this earth today proclaiming that Jesus is at the sinner's heart's door wanting to come in, and he will come in if you'll just let him. There's something wrong. Again, it's very inconsistent with the biblical teaching concerning God. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And he does not need our consent. He does not ask for it, and he certainly does not need it. I'm going to read verse 35 again. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. What right does any inhabitant of the earth what right does any of them have to believe that they can stop the will of God or that the God of heaven needs their consent for him to have his way? When the inhabitants of the earth, all of them, are reputed as nothing, reputed as in the book of Proverbs, and in chapter 16, Proverbs chapter 16, the Bible says in verse 9, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. see the control of God there. Man's heart devises his way. I'll mention again how many times have each of us made plans to do this and to do that. We want to do certain things but something hindered. What caused that hindrance? Maybe I should say who caused that hindrance. Man's heart devises his way. Then you have that little word, but, once again. The Lord directed his steps. Look in Jeremiah and in chapter 10. In Jeremiah and in chapter 10, 
23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We don't always acknowledge that. We don't sometimes we don't even think about it, but yet it remains true. It remains true. Look in the New Testament to the book of Philippians. In Philippians and in chapter 2. Philippians and in chapter 2. And notice verse 13. Notice first of all, if you would, just the first four words. For it is God. It is God. It is God which worketh in you. You'll notice two things are mentioned. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Once again, you have the pleasure of the Lord. The pleasure of the Lord. The pleasure of the Lord, his good pleasure, that's mentioned here, is always an accomplished pleasure. He does whatsoever he hath pleased. He does whatsoever he hath pleased. Whatever he pleased in the army of heaven or among the inhabitants of the earth, that's what he does. The wording here in verse 13, the last words of the verse, his good pleasure literally means his gracious purpose. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his gracious purpose. God works in me and he works in you for two things, to will and to do. To will and to do. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Consider the first of these, to will. God that worketh in you to will. God has total control over It's God which worketh in you to will, to choose, to prefer, to intend, whatever it may be. God is God of all things. And not only to will, but to do. To be active, to be efficient, to be effective in whatever we do. It's God which worketh in you. Now, again, there are many verses in the Scripture that just totally destroy Arminianism and free willism. Surely this is one of those verses. It's God which worketh in you 
both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The reply of many to this verse and other verses have always been, all during my lifetime I've heard it, and I'm sure it's been before my lifetime. If this was true, then we are no more than, than robots. And God just made us just like he would a robot, and a robot has no will of its own. Well, God did not make us as robots, but he did not make us as gods either. And we need to keep that in mind. God did not give up his rule, his dominion, his Godhead and Godhood when he created man. He is still in the heavens, and he still does according to his will. He is still active and doing according to his will among all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, if we could explain all of that, it would be more than my mind could comprehend. But it's still true. None can stay his hand. You remember back in Psalm, and I'll go back there again in Psalm 115 and in verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Consider the matter of salvation. Here, as well as everywhere else, our God does as he pleases. Again, that's something that some people just cannot grasp. They cannot get over that fact. God just does as he pleases. Ephesians and in chapter 1. Ephesians and in chapter 1. I'll read verse 1 through verse 5. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. You think it was Saul of Tarsus's will to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? I think that would have been the last thing on Saul of Tarsus' mind. I just cannot picture Saul of Tarsus standing there at the stoning of Stephen just thinking, boy, I'd like to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, he acknowledges here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. To the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ 
to himself, notice this, according to the good pleasure of his will. How did all that come about? Why did it come about? It just pleased God. It just pleased God. According to the good pleasure of his will. Look at verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. His good pleasure, his delight, his desire. We could say his satisfaction. It just pleased God. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own One more place, if you look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. In the matter of salvation, there's just so many things we could mention. As you're turning 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I just remind you that Isaiah 53 had much to say about this. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to grieve him. Just the pleasure of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Notice the next three words. It pleased God. It pleased God. By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Why is the gospel so important in the salvation of sinners? Just please God to have it that way. I don't know of any other reason. It just please God that that's the way it's going to be. It's going to be what is noted here as the foolishness of preaching. It pleased God by this single method save sinners. It pleased God that it would be through the preaching of the word. I'm going to stop here. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for just being our God. We're thankful that we can acknowledge that such a great God is our God. Help us to always claim you as our Again, thank you for all the benefits that we have just because you are our God. Again, we ask that you be with us throughout all of the day. And I pray again.